you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, sometimes when we talk about loving our work, we think, oh, you find the one right thing and you just do it for the next 30 years. You know, that's not typically how work operates today. In as much as I talk about the importance of work, I don't expect people to find one thing and then do nothing else for an extended period of time. It's something that evolves. We change. Opportunities change. And sometimes... Things occur in our lives that really force us to take a fresh look at what we're doing. Yesterday, I had a lunch with a longtime friend of mine, Jeff Mosley, CEO of Fair Trade Services, formerly INO Records. You may recognize that label as being one who uh, he manages artists like the Afters, Sarah Groves, Mercy Me, Derek Webb, Phillips Craig and Dean, Laura Story, many more. Anyway, uh, Jeff, Jeff is a great business strategist and thinker. In their Monday morning staff meeting, he shared one of the TED Talks titled Embrace the Shake. Now, this is about an art student. Phil Hansen was an art student, and he did. He specialized in pointillist painting. That means he uses points, just little dots. And in using these precise dots, he would then create images well, either as a result of or just something happened, not sure what, he developed tremors in his hands. Neurologists told him that he had nerve damage. It was not likely to go away. Well, what's this going to do to his art career that he had planned out using points as his specialty? Well, the points started to look like commas or tadpoles or little frogs because of the tremors in his hand. And he thought he was going to give up. And he essentially did. He gave up on his art career and started looking for other options. Finally, in meeting with a neurologist, a neurologist suggested that he embrace the shake. Now, think about that for a minute. Here's something totally unwelcome, unexpected in his life. And a neurologist is suggesting that he embrace the shake. In doing so, it spurred this young artist to start looking at his art differently. You've got to watch a video. I'll put a link to the video in the podcast notes. Embrace the Shake. You can find it on YouTube easily. But he talks about the fact that he started using his hands as paint brushes. So he would put paint on his hands and then do like karate chops on a canvas or put paint on his feet and walk around and create a piece. I mean, he did all kinds of really unusual, weird things, sometimes using his torso as a canvas, would paint on his torso. But he's created this amazing reputation for distinctive creativity that he would never have tapped into had he not been confronted with and then embraced the shake, the tremor in his hands. Now, last night I called a longtime friend of mine, been a friend for 30 years, and I had heard from some other friends that he was having vision problems. Now, this guy's a real estate developer. He's been very successful. His properties all around the state. And two years ago, I discover, having not talked to him, he filled me in when I called him last night. I was out watering plants, and I just dialed his number and talked to him for a while. 
Two years ago, he had essentially a mini stroke that affected one of these optic nerves. The optic nerves, unlike many other nerves in our body, don't regenerate. They aren't coded to regenerate. So he lost 85% of his vision in his left eye. The doctors told him at the time that being susceptible to that kind of a mini stroke in that part of his brain, there was a more than 50% chance that he would have it happen in the other eye. Sure enough, two months ago, he had a mini stroke in his other eye and has lost 90% of his vision in that eye. He no longer can see facial features. He can't read his own email. He can't obviously be on a computer. He can't read magazines. He can't watch TV. His life has changed dramatically. And yet I was, it was encouraging to hear the optimism in his voice, the things that he's doing to change how he's handling his business, how he's delegating more effectively than he ever has. And in essence has embraced the shake. Now we don't welcome those kind of things when they come into our lives. Goodness knows we don't want those things. And yet it's in the midst of that often that we do find new insights, new lessons, and ultimately new opportunities. One of the uh, artists that Jeff Mosley has is Laura Story, who had a song that's extremely popular called Blessings. Now, a few years ago, her husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and she wondered, you know, God, why don't you just fix this? I don't see within your power. Just fix this. But after mentioning her God, kind of despair, her desire to return to normal, her sister said, you know, I think the detour is actually the road. And Laura has become known for those songs where she writes, you know, about when things don't go exactly as we want, we sure plan, you know, what do we do in spite of that? That's made her extremely popular. Certainly, again, we would not wish for those things, but the idea of embrace the shake, I think, is something that we can all learn from. Well, here's some of the things we're going to be talking about today. What occupation would give me a big shovel with little education or experience? Dan, is there anything better than cold calls for developing new B2B business? Dan, I've been off work for two and a half years due to depression caused by excess work and stress. How can I reassess my future? How about this one? Is my church keeping me from my God-given potential? How can I best expand the principles of 48 days to the work that you love if I have a time period of 548 days to the work I love? A lady's going to retire from her current job in 18 months and wants to be ready for that. How does she get ready? Well, what a great window of opportunity. Well, here's a quotation for today. Actually, this is just one that I've used with our coaches and some other environments recently, and I've gotten... Uh, extremely interesting feedback on. So this one comes from me today, which just says, what do you need to let go in order to create the life you want? A lot of times in creating the life that we want, it's not a matter of adding new things in. It's a matter of letting go of some things that already are crowding our life and maybe keeping us from the best things. So what do you need to let go of in order to create the life that you want? Well, here's a couple of success stories. I always start off with these. I love getting these stories in. Listen to this. This, this just blew my mind when I got it. Joseph Brown from Beaverton, Oregon. It was so polite. And actually his 
question was subject titled was business etiquette. He's so gentle in how he wants to handle us. But listen to this disturbing situation he has been confronted with. Dan, thanks so much for your books. They've been a huge encouragement, have provided me with a step-by-step plan to successfully make a potentially difficult career transition. I am an adult student changing fields from construction to accounting. Now listen to the pieces here. This is not just a subtle change, changing from construction work to accounting. I'm in my last year of school and I'm looking for an entry-level position in my new field. I bought and read 48 Days of the Work You Love. I followed your system. I carefully researched 20 firms, sent out introduction letters, then several days later sent out cover letters with resumes. Before I had a chance to start calling them. Now, in 48 Days, that's the process that I lay out. Identify your target companies. Doesn't matter who's hiring. You don't worry about that. You just identify companies you'd like to be associated with. Send out introduction letters, then cover letters and resumes, then do the phone follow-up. Very important to do the phone follow-up. But here's what happened in Joseph's case. I sent out introduction letters and several days later, I sent out cover letters with resumes. Before I had a chance to start calling them, I had two of them contact me for interviews. And after interviewing, received two job offers. I'm excited to accept the second of the two offers. I believe it's exactly what I'm looking for. Here's the question. Do I contact the remaining firms and let them know I'm no longer seeking interviews or do I not contact them at all? Not contacting them after I told them in my letter that I would seems flaky, but contacting them to tell them I no longer want an interview seems awkward. What do I do? Now, how would you like to be confronted with that situation? Before you have a chance to even start following up, you have companies calling you, asking you for interviews, and you get two job offers. Well, my advice to Joe is that he does go ahead and call those others. Just as a courtesy call, he can leave a message if if needed, but just to tell them that his job search produced such immediate results that he has accepted a position and is not looking for another opportunity at this given time. Just that little bit of courtesy, you never know how that will sow a seed that'll come back to benefit you sometime down the road. I mean, things change, maybe two years from now, maybe looking for another opportunity, may go back to one of those same companies and they say, oh, I remember your courtesy when you applied with us the first time. I actually was interested, but then got your message that you had gotten a position very quickly. And I thought, boy, there's a lucky company out there that got you Uh, this time. Yeah, I want to have first shot at you. I mean, just go through that. But but isn't that a cool story that here is somebody changing careers changing direction totally in this economy yes and gets job offers that fast well here's another one i love this one joshua kemp from warrington virginia says dan i'm praying with my legs now thanks to you now that comes from a quotation that i've used multiple times i'm sure from frederick Douglass, who was a theologian and author who said i prayed for 20 years but received no answer until i prayed with my legs So Joshua says he's praying with his legs. Dear Dan, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your books and podcast. I feel like I get to sit down and have coffee with you every Friday. I've been listening for the past two and a half years. I am a farrier. Now, who who can raise their hand real quick and tell me what a farrier is? Uh, That's an occupational title we don't hear a lot these days because it's not real common these days. You know what a farrier is? 
this is a very legitimate occupation. A farrier is a specialist in equine or horse hoof care. You know, they trim, balance horses' hooves, place the shoes on their hoofs if necessary. Um, they combine. A farrier really is kind of an enhanced blacksmith. A blacksmith can fabricate and make the shoes, but a, a farrier, really the implication is that they have some veterinarian skills as well, knowledge of the anatomy and physiology of the, the horse, so they really make things work well. So Joshua says, I'm a farrier and thought I could never get out of this line of work, but thanks to listening to you, I taught myself to be a, a software developer, studying 21 hours every week for the past seven months. Now think about that. He's a full-time farrier. Now, what do you do with your leisure hours? I used a quotation in a blog recently from B.C. Forbes about that very thing, that you can really tell where somebody is headed by watching not what they do at work, but what they do in their leisure time. Here, Joshua says he was spending 21 hours a week, every week for the past seven months. So he's got, what, about 650 hours in studying how to become a software developer and he blogged about the entire journey three times a week i just launched my resume site joshuakemp.net on may 23rd to try to get hired and i've already received two job offers with many other possible opportunities thank you so much dan for teaching me to take action be remarkable and then incredible things can happen those are remarkable stories i love that Joe is moving from construction to accounting. Boom. Two job offers before he even really got in the job search mode completely. Joshua took action, studied on his off time, 21 hours a week for seven months, became proficient in software developing, put out a resume. Incidentally, Josh, I did go to your site. Great site. I love your little video where you, you start off actually doing your farrier work you've got the the blower going there and the heat on a horseshoe that you're shaping and then you talk about how yeah that's served you well but you're moving on to something that's a new area of passion for you great lead in just a really unique creative presentation that it's obviously working well for you Hey, I'm going to send both you guys, Joshua and Joseph, I'm going to send you both copies of my newest book, Wisdom Meets Passion, and an autographed signed copy of 20,000 Days and Counting by my friend Robert D. Smith. Robert D. Smith is manager and partners with Andy Andrews, but a great writer in his own right. 20,000 Days and Counting, how we take advantage of the days we've been given. You guys deserve that. I will get copies of those sent out to you shortly well let's go to listener questions gretchen from ppku ppkio hawaii all right dan my question is about non-disclosure agreements i have an internet fitness related business idea that is so simple and such a no-brainer that i can't believe no one is doing it but it will require me to partner with one or more fitness people. I know that once it gets out there, others will begin to do it too. As I approach fitness people, I want to protect the concept. Do non-disclosure agreements protect me in a case like this? Thanks for your wisdom. 
Gretchen, they really don't give you much in what you're describing here. You are, I, I don't know exactly what you're doing, but you got a, a fitness related business idea. So let's say that you are going to teach people to step up and down on a chair, that this provides a superior training rather than traditional in-place aerobics. I mean, something like that can't really be protected. Somebody else can do something so similar. It doesn't matter if you have a non-disclosure agreement or a patent on that particular idea. It really doesn't give you much protection. My encouragement is just do it. Just get out there. Be the first to do it. Knock it out of the park. Now, here's some things you can do. Give this process or this idea a unique name. I mean, when you think about something like Jazzercise, I mean, somebody just came up with a creative name. Well, that became a brand name like Kleenex or Scotch Tape. You know, they became that synonymous with that kind of exercise. And of course, those people, you know, made millions as others adapted that process. I have a, a friend, uh, Teresa Rowe from Owensboro, Kentucky. She has a fitness program called Shaped by Faith. She uses her faith as a foundational piece for that, uses the balance balls. She has an entire program as DVDs and training programs that she does. Shaped by Faith is her name. If you come up with a creative name, you can trademark that name, and that'll give you a lot more power, uh, name recognition, and protection, really, than a non-disclosure agreement will in this kind of a situation. So if you go to USPTO.gov, you can research to see if there's anything else like this, and then you can file a trademark there. And I'll put that in the podcast notes. It's USPTO.gov. That's United States patent and trademark office but a trademark is really what you're looking for that'll give you more and better protection than getting a non-disclosure agreement you probably hear in the background there that i just had you two it's a beautiful day i don't think i've ever had that happen before but i had my phone in my pocket and apparently failed to mute it before I started the podcast. Well, nothing wrong with the little interjection there of you two singing. It's a beautiful day. That's the ring, the ringtone on my phone. So every time my phone rings, I'm reminded it's a beautiful day. I love hearing it every single time. Now with a trademark, if you're really going to do that, I, I would really advise you to use an attorney. A trademark is really not for a concept and it's not just for words, it's for a look. So the Coca-Cola logo is trademarked. That's really what you're trademarking. You can't just protect names. I mean, yeah, I mean, Donald Trump trademarked, you know, you're fired. And there are things like that, but it's really the look that is a trademark, not just the words. There are so many variations on a trademark that instead of just filing through the online site that where you can do that, I would encourage you to sit down with a trademark attorney though and get their advice as to how to shape that if in fact you want to go that direction. Kristen from Denver, Colorado says, Dan, I currently am a teacher but eventually want to work in the fitness and nutrition field. We have a lot of health and fitness questions. I don't know if it's a time of year or what, but get a lot of those uh, this week. But Kristen says, I'm currently a teacher. Eventually want to work in the fitness and nutrition field. 
I'd like to start working in that field as soon as possible because it's something that I really enjoy. Although I'm trying to get certified as a trainer soon, I am still lacking enough education for me to feel like I can successfully work with clients. I feel that I know a lot more than the average person, being that I have worked with a trainer myself and I've done my own research on nutrition and exercise when possible, but I'm someone who always wants to do the best job possible and feel I can't without more education. What advice do you have on how to get started in a field quickly while still learning the trade and not having a lot of experience? Well, I appreciate the heart of your question, Kristen. When you're working in with somebody you know, in fitness and nutrition, certainly you need to be knowledgeable, but being knowledgeable enough or educated enough or certified enough or degreed enough is a really subjective kind of term, isn't it? I mean, what, what kind of education do you need? Do you need to sit in the classroom and, you know, go through the textbook and regurgitate that? You know, do you need to talk to other trainers? Do you need more hands-on experience with clients? Do you need to be certified by an organization? Do you need to read um, three current books on fitness and nutrition? And just recognize that valuable education comes in many ways Clients really aren't going to ask you a whole lot of questions about your educational background. What they want to know is how do they feel when they get finished with a workout with you? Are they getting results in a couple weeks? Are they hearing from other people that worked with you six months ago that are just amazed at the results that they got? Now, if we look at this, I mean, this is one of those areas where certification is unclear. I mean, it's much like coaching. To be a coaching course, you, you could call yourself a health and fitness coach if you wanted to. Coaching is something where there are not clearly identified guidelines for what it means to call yourself a coach. You can be certified as a coach if you send in $39 tonight and tomorrow you get a piece of paper that says you're certified. And that goes all the way up to get certified where you go through a two-year in-house program at Johns Hopkins University to be certified as a coach. So the variation is pretty dramatic, and that's certainly true in health and fitness as well. Now, in your industry, I mean, the, I'm pretty familiar with your industry. I mean, the certifications that would be likely would be like ISSA. So you have that behind your name. What are the chances that a client you're going to work with knows that that stands for International Sports Sciences Association. They really aren't. And you can get that certification for $499. You send in your money and watch their videos and you're certified. Now, does that mean that you are you know, 10 times better than the next person down the line? No, now just keep in mind here, when I talk about certification, licensure, degrees, and so on, don't think that I'm just dismissing the value of any of those. I'm saying that education is an ongoing process. I mean, what I'm doing in coaching today has a lot to do with education that I've gotten in the last two or three years. Now, that didn't come primarily from sitting in a classroom or going to an academic university, but it came from being really up to date with what's happening in the field of coaching and learning new principles and dynamics of coaching. And then, of course, I'm also very interested in the business of coaching, as you should be as well. Another one would be NASM. So you could have your name, and then you could have 
NASM after that? Well, that stands for National Academy of Sports Medicine. That's a very highly rated, reputable degree as well. Again, $499, boom, you're that. NAFC would be the other one where you may have that certification. That's the National Association for Fitness Certification. So you may have any of those acronyms after your name, but again, nobody but another trainer is going to know what they really mean. So the key is not something to impress your clients. The key is you need to have the confidence that you really do know what you're doing, that you really are offering value, and you can get the education to give yourself that confidence in many, many different ways. Now you say, how do you get started in the field quickly while still learning the train. Again, I, I've been coaching people for 25 years, but I'm still learning how to be more effective as a coach. So you don't stop learning. But if I had waited until I thought I knew enough to be an effective coach, I probably would have never started because part of the process of becoming competent as a coach is working with people and you learn as you go. You learn from them. So you can start quickly by having clients who rave about you and the results they get. That's the way to get started as a coach. You know, and when you do these kind of things, you go out on your own, you're going to do something. Well, that's not just a regular job. What you're going to do, you're going to have people around you that say, are you serious? You need to just keep the job that you have currently. You know, you're a teacher. You got a respected job. Why would you rock the boat? Well, let me insert an old song here. It comes from John Lennon, and this is what you're likely to hear. People say I'm crazy. Last week we had a question, Dan, can I make my living as a dreamer? And we talked about that. Yes, you can. Put legs in your dreams. Start walking out your prayer life, doing the things we're talking about here. You're hearing stories from people who are doing things that are creative, who are, that are distinctive, that are unusual. Yes, it can be done. Well, People say I'm crazy doing what I'm doing. If you're hearing that, welcome to the club of people who are going to make a difference in the world, who are weird, who are not normal, who are doing things that are distinctively creative. Well, here comes a question from Jose. You know, I'll, I love the car questions. They come in. Here's one. Dan, I'm currently flipping cars. I know how to sell things. What occupation would you say would give me what you call a big shovel? without experience or education. If you know how to sell cars, you got a big shovel. 
I mean, I don't know of many things where you have the open-ended kind of opportunity that you do with cars. And if you're in that arena, now surely there are other things. There are yachts and real estate, other things that you could sell, but your selling ability is what in fact gives you the big shovel. What you choose to sell should just be something that you're already knowledgeable about, something that you thoroughly enjoy, something that you are so passionate about, you'd want your next door neighbor to have one. Now, to me, it's easy to see that fitting. Choose the kind of cars that you'd like to deal with. You want to deal with exotic cars or just classic Corvettes or just Jaguars or just things that are in between three and four thousand, three and five thousand dollars, let's say. I mean, there are all kinds of ways you can kind of carve out a unique niche for yourself, but selling cars, flipping cars, that gives you a big shovel. When I first got into selling cars, this was years and years ago in California. It was after I had gotten my master's in clinical psychology. I worked in a counseling office called the Center for Human Understanding in Tustin, California. How's that for a grandiose title? Center for Human Understanding. I was there for about three months and came home and told Joanne, I says, I can't stand this anymore. If I'm going to listen to these spoiled rich kids moan and complain about the lives they have, you know, I'm going to go nuts myself. And so I transitioned out of that. It was, I was in so quickly, it was not a big deal to extricate myself get back out which i did went in business with a friend of mine who had a used car lot we had a blast i absolutely loved it and became known very quickly as somebody that people could trust i'd have old ladies come in there and open their savings account book and show it to me and say gee dan i got you know eight thousand dollars what can i buy for that well because i treated people like that well the business grew very quickly and was extremely profitable I remember one of the first times that we, we also had a storage lot. It was, it was a big lot right on Catella Avenue in Anaheim, California, much more than we needed to front 40 or 50 cars. So we had a lot of space in the back and I divided it up into small spaces on which people could then store boats, RVs, motorcycle trailers, whatever they wanted to. Well, I had one motorhome that sat there and just month after month after month never got moved at all. And I finally approached the owner about it and I said, you know, you never move it. Would you consider selling that? He says, yeah, I need to just get rid of it. I don't really don't care about having it. So we negotiated what I thought was a reasonable price on it. And, and it was, and we, I used it for a couple trips, came from California back to Ohio to see family one Christmas. And then ultimately I decided, well, I'll just put it on the lot and sell, sell it. Well, I sold it and made $4,000 profit. I thought, oh my gosh, I'd never made that much on one vehicle before. But I thought, boy, this really does have a lot of potential. So when you talk about having a big shovel, I mean, you really can do that. Now, this is not to take advantage of people when you buy them, but I often have gone to repo auctions. So it's an open auction. Anybody can bid. So I go to auctions where banks are getting rid of repo cars. And I've had cars there where I've purchased them, clean them up, set them in the front yard and make $3,000 on them just because it's now cleaned up in a bit different location. And that's how you can buy things at repo auctions. But if I were looking for something without a lot of experience or education, but I knew the car business, 
you're currently filling with cars, I would look no further. I would say, man, I am home free. This is where I need to be. <laughs> well, hey, just a reminder, this is Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online radio show. Where every week I take real questions, questions from you, the listeners. If you got a question, just go to 48days.com. Click on the podcast link. You can either write in your question there, as most people do, or you can just speak. Hit the little speak pipe icon, or you can call a Google number. Leave it that way. In a lot of ways, just feel free to leave your comments there. Leave your question. Be happy to consider that for an upcoming podcast. David from Wilmington, North Carolina says, Dan, love your work. Listen every week. Quick question. I've heard you talk about marketing, consulting, and training services to companies through clever mailings, like sending the little rubber frog with a tagline about kissing a lot of these before finding a prince. Can you explain this process or recommend additional resources? I have a professional training company that I want to grow by targeting the best clients for my services. Okay, so you want to target companies for your services. Let me include one other one here. It's very similar. Logan from Colorado Springs, Colorado asked, that was just out in Colorado last week. My son and his family live up the hill in Woodland Park and Joanna and I were out there, spent 10 days while my son and daughter-in-law were off celebrating their wedding anniversary. But enjoyed going out there. Love flying into Colorado Springs. They get this great little airport. It's not like Denver, so we've been going, instead of going Denver and down, we've been going Nashville to Dallas, and Dallas straight into Colorado Springs on a small American Airlines flight. So we enjoy that connection, but love going into the Colorado Springs Airport. Just a quaint little place. We know the, the car rental people there and pop out and get a car and on our way up the hill to Woodland Park. Anyway, Logan asked, I have a question for you on developing new business within a subcontracting firm. We work in the semiconductor industry, have some great clients already. Part of my new contract with the company includes bonuses and escalated pay based on new contracts and hiring managers that I open up. Cold calls and email blasts to the prospects have been methods that have been used to generate in the past and seem to have a low return. How would you make the approach to the new clients personal and professional while setting yourself apart from the other companies? Okay, now in response to both of those, I'm going to talk about a process that I have used called nurture marketing. I'll put this in the podcast notes, but you can go to nurturemarketing.com. Jim Cecil is a gentleman who developed that term and that concept. And here's what it looks like. So if you know that target clients for your business, you identify 120 client companies that would be prospects for what you want to do. Every month you send them something and that's a process that David was referring to that I have used multiple times in developing new business concepts or developing seminars and workshops. Identify 100, 120 companies every month they receive something from me. And it's not just, boom, here's an email blast in your box, spam, buy now. No, it's here's an article I thought you may enjoy. Or, you know, have you ever hired somebody that you thought was a prince and turned out to be something else? So every month they would get something from me. I became a resource of information. And in the nurture marketing process and in marketing in general, you create what we call top of mind positioning. 
So they may not need you right now, but when they do six months from now, you're the first name that comes to mind because you're that person that keeps sending them useful information. I mean, if we've used this effectively for speaking engagements or workshops and seminars, we have used it in a lot of different applications, but nurture marketing, then it's not just a cold call coming in that they reject. It's not just an email blast, but no, here's that monthly update from that company that's given us information that helps us understand this particular part of our business. Yeah. Let's talk to them about coming in and doing a three hour workshop. Let's talk to them about the services that they provide. That's how that's done. Great question. Trish from Sydney, Sydney, Australia says, Dan, I've been listening to your show for a few weeks now and wish that I had found your site before I hit rock bottom. I've been off work for two and a half years due to depression caused by excess work and stress. I would like to know how to, I can reassess my future. How can I re-enter the job market with this background of depression? I feel that I'm unemployable now. I don't know what or how to rebuild my life from this point. Trish, well, Trish, I feel for you having been out that long. You need to break the cycle, obviously, and I assume that you're getting good medical and nutritional care to break the cycle of depression and are ready to go again, I'm going to send you a fresh copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Matter of fact, I'll send it to you electronically so you get it instantly. So you can go through that again and get a renewed sense of hope about where you're going. But what you have to do is you don't want to go out here as somebody who's been depressed and out of work for two and a half years. And that's what people know about you. I mean, that'll kill your opportunities. When you go out here again, you have to know clearly what are your highest skills and abilities. What are your, the highest areas of competence that you have? What do you have that brings unique value to a company? So you have to be really clear on those things so you can communicate that with confidence, boldness, and enthusiasm. People aren't going to feel sorry for you and give a job, give you a job. It just doesn't happen that way. They need to know you're somebody they want on their team. So in the interviewing process, they want to know, is this someone who's honest, fun to be around, someone who will fit in as part of the team, someone who has that clear, unique value that she brings to the table. So you need to pull yourself up and know those things about yourself. What is it that you do really well? I don't care that you haven't been in the game much in the last two and a half years. That's okay. You can start where you are, draw a line in the sand and say, this is what you're moving to. Everybody knows what we're going away from. You're clear on that. You need to be real clear on what you're going to based on your abilities, your personality, your passions, your values, your dreams. What are you a candidate for? The clearer you can be about seeing a picture of what that is, the easier it is for you to get exactly there. But I want to update from you 30 days from now to let us know that you broke that pattern, you're fully engaged in something that's giving you a sense of completion and satisfaction, you're ready to go. Jessica from Lebanon, Tennessee says, Dan, my name is Jessica. I'm a 23-year-old nutritional consultant with a strong belief in health and wellness. Another health and fitness question here. Not only that, but I've always had a real passion for food. My dream is to open an organic, natural bakery with pastries custom decorated cakes, and also maybe some organic cafe items. There's nothing like this in the area for at least 15 miles. I strongly believe this would be a hit. However, I'm lost financially. 
I don't have a lot saved up, definitely not enough for a lease on a building. I've considered an online business, but it's not really what I have in mind for a company like this. I want to be the go-to bakery in the company, in, in the community. Are there any tips you could give me about how I could make my dream into reality? Thank you. Well, Jessica, yes, I love your idea. Love your idea. There's always room for somebody who's doing what you're describing, doing it with excellence, making really unique, remarkable things to talk about. Tell your friends, bakeries, bakery items, pastries, and so on. Here's what I would recommend. Start with a small commercial kitchen. You don't even need to lease it. You don't need need to build it, own it. You can rent by the hour. I mean, there are commercial kitchens all around. You live in Lebanon, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville here. There are kitchens all over the place that are only used 12 hours a day. And you can contract to use a commercial kitchen in their off hours. I mean, I've known lots of people who have done that. We're very low commitment, so they aren't signing a lease. But it's to get in the game. And that's what you want. So you don't want to bury yourself in debt or lease obligations before you even know what kind of a market you have. But create a name for yourself then by supplying local restaurants or special occasions. I mean, don't, don't try to hit the needs of everybody in the world, you know, right out of the gate. Just identify five or six restaurants. I mean, restaurants do even, even franchise brand names purchase items like you're talking about for their restaurants. I mean, I've known TGI Fridays, Logan's and places like that, that purchase from local providers, especially in the dessert items that you are a specialist in. Then when that's going really well, you create a name for yourself. This again, this is important time to have a name. You're not just one more bakery, but you know, our, our friend Linda Stone, you probably know Linda Stone who has Puffy Muffin. Well, Puffy Muffin, I mean, she started, like I'm describing, very small behind the scenes, just kind of wholesale. And it was only as her name and reputation grew that then she opened a little place there in Brentwood. Now she just opened another place in Cool Springs over in Carruthers, where the old Nachos Mexican restaurant used to be. But it's a beautiful layout. Puffy Muffin. But she'd be one to talk to. And you can do that. Just go in and talk to Linda Stone and ask her about the history of what she did. Very gracious, a courteous lady. I mean, she'd be glad to share with you. Then when you are doing really well on that, then you can look at getting your own kitchen. I would go very, very slowly on getting a retail location. I mean, that's been the death of a whole lot of great pastry makers. I mean, I know being online gives you a broad reach, but then you got the hassle of shipping, a physical location eliminates some of the shipping concerns, but then it limits you dramatic, dramatically geographically. I mean, having a physical location, location is really critical. I mean, you look at where Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme locate, you know, they have studied traffic patterns. They know they're going to have a lot of traffic, easy access and all that. If you're going to have a retail location, That's why I think it makes a whole lot more sense to start out in a wholesale fashion where you can be back in an industrial center somewhere where, again, the rent is extremely low. You don't have that ongoing obligation of a retail location, and you can build your name by providing pastries, the great things you do for restaurants. And then you can do special occasions. You can do anniversaries and weddings and graduations and all that, but build it in that way. Incidentally, there's a place where I buy a lot of stuff. It's O.H. Danish, O.H. Danish Bakery. 
it's out of, I think, Wisconsin, but they, I, I buy these things. It's like a, well, it's not like a donut, but it has a hole in the middle, but it's a really big pastry, Danish. I had one sent to me probably 15 years ago and just, we fell in love with it. And so I've just, I've been a customer of the company, which is the kind of, the kind of uh, reputation, the kind of a uh, viral marketing that you want. But I order from the company special gifts for referrals or just somebody doing a great job or whatever. I order from OH Danish. It's about, I don't know, I think it's about 25 or 30 bucks for one of their big Danishes. But golly, does it leave an impression? They're gorgeous and they're obviously um, extremely delicious as well. Well, let me grab one more here. Martin says from West Central Pennsylvania, is my church keeping me from my God-given full potential? Dan, thanks for all you do. I love listening to the podcast each week. My wife and I are unhappy with the church we attend. Most of the people there aren't like we aren't like those we want to be like. It's a smaller church, which has been through a lot. and The people are a bit down and out. Also, doctrinally, this church and its denomination takes somewhat of a negative view on the Christian faith, which I don't agree with. Wow. Here's my dilemma. I know no church is the perfect church. However, I know the significant impact those we spend time with and what we listen to have. Is our church keeping us from our God-given full potential? Should we find another church? I struggle with knowing people would be disappointed if we left. Now, you're going to get from me a... um, a two minute answer, which obviously doesn't deal with all the issues that you're implying here. Would I leave in a heartbeat? I mean, I know that we have family ties and denominational ties and historical ties, generational ties and all of that often in a church. When you describe what you do, you're unhappy with the church. The people there aren't like those you want to be like. I mean, a couple of weeks ago I had as our quotation from Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn who said the fastest way to change yourself is to hang out with people who are already the way you want to be. And the reverse is true. You hang out with people who are not the way you want to be. I mean, think of it. It's like when you buy a house right next to a railroad track, the first night that train comes rumbling through at 2 AM, you sit straight up in bed, jump out of bed, scream, bloody murder. 30 days later, you don't even wake up. You've just become accustomed to it. That tends to happen when we're on negative people. I mean, be around people who are vulgar and in their language, who swear a lot. You think it's going to creep in? I mean, you go into environments, if it's truck drivers or auto mechanics or whatever. I'm not disparaging those professions, but typically you hear rough language. It's almost unheard of for somebody not to in those environments. Well, Certainly there are exceptions. I hope some of you listening are exceptions. But, yeah, I'd leave. I mean, don't let this one thing be something that should be a high point of your week, be something that pulls you down, something that you dread going to. I would not do that. I'd change. Find a place where you enjoy. And recognize also the seasons we go through in our lives. Somehow with churches, people assume you go there when you were a baby and you need to be there when the day you die. I mean, recognize churches go through their own life cycles. It's about 14 years, according to George Barna, who does church research, where young couples get together. They have young kids. They start a church. 
14 years later, guess what? Those kids have graduated from high school. Those people are in a new season in their life. A lot of them are candidates to move on and do something else. But by then often they have a building with a mortgage and they keep the organization going, even though they've lost their original mission. So if you are a different place than you were five years ago in your church life, absolutely move on, find a place that you enjoy, find a place where the people are like you want to become. You may go through the change again five years from now. Welcome that rather than feeling like that's somehow an area in our life that can never change. Well, just to recap, I want to encourage you to embrace the shake. And I'll have the notes, the link to that in the podcast notes. Embrace the shake. There may be something in your life that rather than fighting it, you need to just embrace it. Remember, you can go from construction to accounting or farrier to software developer. Get multiple jobs immediately. I remember that quotation from Frederick Douglass. Again, I prayed for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. Well, there we go. Blasting through another one. I love getting your questions. Look forward to this being one of the highlights of my week. Open that file. Go through the questions where we can unpack them together, share together. Thanks for your comments. Go to iTunes. Leave some comments there. I'd appreciate it. Leave your comments also at 48 Days site. I know a lot of you use Stitcher, Zoom, other ways that you listen. Lots of ways you can access being part of this community. Thanks for being part of this group that is finding or creating work that is purposeful, fulfilling, and profitable.